Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather every Sunday morning as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now we continue our study in the Gospel according to John. We're in John chapter 18 with guest speaker Paul Frederick and his message, Violence Outside the Garden. Okay, Hollyview, time to lower your expectations. Let's bring it down a few notches. Uh, Good morning. My name is Paul Frederick. He mentioned there there's a good amount of new folks out there uh, since the last time I did something like this. So I'm going to introduce myself a bit. My family of six came to Hollyview when our pastor Joel did, uh, and we're involved here. I help out with the high school and middle school group um, on Wednesday nights. Sometimes I help in the preschool room downstairs. On Sunday mornings, sometimes I help out with the worship team. In fact, uh, two of the knuckleheads that are up here a lot are my sons. Uh, the uh, oldest, Josh, is the teenager with the long hair, and he, he, he alternates between the bass guitar and the guitar and the drums. And, and uh, my Caleb is the, the one that did the Advent thing, and he's been hitting the keyboard and piano a lot in the last few months. Um, proud of those boys and how they're serving our Lord. And they're part of uh, the, the youth ministry here. And we have a great group of young people in our youth ministry. Uh, that's right. We really do. And we have great leaders in Caleb and Anna and uh, great volunteers in Chris and Tanya and uh, Elder Mike and Gina Crover and some of the high schoolers help with the middle schoolers. Uh, like Kylan and I think Abby and and maybe some others. Um, My third son, Ethan, is in the youth ministry uh, group as well, which is fun to see, and he was one of the guys that read the verses here. And uh, my my youngest, Luke, is is often in our children's ministry, which is coordinated by my wife, Natalie, for the last few years. I'm blessed to have pretty good kids and a wonderful wife. And uh, we're about children in our family. I mean, we have the four, obviously. We're not, we're not quite to Fontenot level or anything, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, we have, uh, we got the four kids, and, and we've also been public school teachers for years, myself and my wife. And uh, now we own and operate a, a, a child care and preschool business. So there's about a 165 kids, ages zero to six. It's kind of a lot of kids. And I enjoy helping out with the, with the preschoolers downstairs here sometimes. And my wife, Natalie, is talented with the young ones. So um, now it's been a little while since I've been up here in this capacity, almost two and a half years, actually. Uh, the, the corona was fresher then. All of us here, it was a sea of masks. Uh, and uh, we didn't know how it would all play out. We just knew this is crazy times in a crazy world, and that's still true. Uh, During the pandemic, and we're still living with many of the additional stressors from it, some of us broke a little. Uh, Some of us, probably many of us in some way or another, we, we have cracks. And when you add extra pressures, sometimes 
things break. Mine, I have one, is anxiety. On and off throughout my life, I have had uh, generalized anxiety and, and panic attacks. Uh, it turned up a few notches during the pandemic. Um, uh, it was just general extra stressors, you know? We were running a business, people were scared for the children, what do we do? We were being the teachers at home, was, you know, all of us went through that. Uh, but some of those extra things, they, they break some things in us sometimes. So I was really uh, unable to comfortably be up here in any sort of capacity on the worship team for a long time and, and doing something like this until relatively recently when my mind has calmed down a bit. I had to turn down or cancel on Joel a few times when he asked me uh, to be up here. And I got in the habit at that time, and I still mostly do, of attending church downstairs. So uh, I've never, I never left, I just mostly am down there, and, and uh, it's streamed live with a five-second delay, and uh, probably shout out to, to Kendra and, 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 uh, and Justin, who are, and sometimes Jake's down there. Um, so uh, thank you also to the people that help with children's ministry, because I, I get to see those people more uh, being down there as well. Thank you for volunteering to help take care of our kids. Anyway, so if I have a panic attack during the sermon, uh, <laughs> make sure to blame Joel for asking me to be up here. I'm actually comfortable speaking in front of a group, more or less. Uh, that's, that's not my main discomfort. Uh, my main discomfort is, is feeling stuck, so that if I did start feeling weird or funny, it's hard for me to run or walk away without causing kind of a disruption. Uh, so that's a lot of introduction for what's supposed to be a sermon on John 18, I'm almost done with the intro part, and it has a connection to our text. I'm just, I'll just say one more thing. There's plenty of you out there that have struggles with mental illness. And sometimes it wins, and sometimes it doesn't. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with physical illness. I don't, haven't had the big C yet that I know of. That's what I call cancer. Uh, uh, no major hospitalizations. Uh, but if you're tired of your mind or your emotions not working like they're supposed to, that I understand, and you're not alone, and um, I'll hope with you for better days, especially the days when Jesus returns and sets everything right. Let's pray again. Our Father, this world is still broken, and we need your restoration, your healing, your life, your redemption. We need to be saved to be made whole permanently. You're our only hope for that. As we turn to your words this morning, give us eyes to see your truth, and I pray you would draw our hearts toward your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So I mentioned I don't generally fear speaking in front of people, but teaching God's people is spooky. It's dangerous. What if I say the wrong thing? The, the book of James says that teachers get harsher judgments. Can't really afford that. <laughs> so the only safe thing I know how to do, Hollyview, is to point you toward Jesus. Fortunately, the Bible's a good tool for that, because it's, I believe, a unified story that leads to Jesus. little nod to the Bible Project fans out there. So if you have a Bible in whatever form, please open it, take it, pick it up, turn it on, however you do that, and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 18. That's our text today, John chapter 18. We're 85% of the way through the Gospel of John. We're coming to a climax, 
spoiler alert, uh, alert, next week is the crucifixion. This chapter is loaded and layered with meaning. As I was studying the passage, I realized there's half a dozen different kind of sermons that could be done on the chapter without being repetitive. It's literary art is how I, I think of it. The author has woven it artistically and, and masterfully and meaningfully. It's dripping with allusion, with reference, with double meanings, with irony, with rising action. The next chapter, chapter 19, is going to be the crucifixion, like I said, but this chapter really sets up a lot of the meaning, a lot of the significance of the crucifixion, the background. Um, it has uh, just basic outlines of the story. In this chapter, it's, you got the arrest of Jesus. He goes up in front of some priests. He, Peter ends up denying him. Uh, he, he goes before Pilate. Um, so let's, let's start by, by reading the first verse. After these, oh, well, I'll read this version. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the book, brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Okay, I was talking with my wife, Natalie, about this chapter, and she asked me, hey, what are you going to focus on? I said, there's so much someone could focus on. She said, that's the chapter where Jesus is arrested. He goes before Pilate and the priest, and, and Peter's denying him. I said, yeah, that's right. She said, so what, what are you going to focus on? I said, mainly the first verse. She goes, well, what's the first verse? And I said, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciple across the brook Kidron where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. She said, that's it? That's the meat of your sermon? I got a good laugh, and I told her I would share that with you. It doesn't look like much, but looks can be deceiving. This is literary art, and John knows what he's doing. Uh, but quick aside, who here has a translation that says something like olive grove? Anybody have an olive grove out there? One, two. Okay, thank you. Got one over here, olive grove. That's wrong, okay? <laughs> I didn't say this part of my... Now, I do have a background actually in biblical Greek, believe it or not, but uh, it is wrong, and, but there's a, reason, there's a reason it says olive grove. They're trying to help you out because in the other gospels, it's on the Mount of Olives or, or uh, in Gethsemane, which means olive press. And uh, so they're trying to help you out saying, hey, it's the same place as these other stories. They're being helpful, except John doesn't want you to think of olives right now. He wants you to think of a garden. And so uh, that's the NIV probably that you, you folks have that, that translated that poorly. And Fortunately for you, you don't have to take my word for it, in 2011, the NIV updated, and they got the garden back in there, so they grew wiser with age, some of us. Um, John isn't only telling a story of what happened. He's definitely doing that, but he wants to shape the way we think about what happened. He wants us to think about a garden. So the verse starts, when Jesus had spoken these words, or after saying these things, and that takes us back to last week in chapter 17 where Joel shared with us. The and the chapter, uh, if, you, if you turn back in the Bible and you look back, you'll probably see a chapter heading that says something like the high priestly prayer. The high priestly prayer is what's chapter 17. He's interceding for us. He's, he's doing that on behalf of, for his disciples and for those that are going to believe because of this. He wants us to think about priests. So John has us having priests on the brain, high priests on the brain, and garden, priest, garden, priest, garden. And in that, we can include, because we're savvy Bible readers, 
there's also some thinking about the tabernacle and the temple. We'll talk more about that in a second. Those three places, the garden, the tabernacle, and the temple, are, are places that are related in the Hebrew Bible, and they're, they're representations of where kind of heaven and earth meet. The disciples hung out a lot in the garden, it says, uh, later in chapter 18, just in a verse or two. And, and we should be thinking, Adam and Eve in the garden, hanging out, walking, and talking with God. Uh, this is the picture that should be in our minds when we're thinking about the disciples with Jesus in the garden. This is a good place. The garden was very good until it wasn't. In the text, Jesus enters, by the way, and then, and then the disciples. So remember the story of the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve screw up by trusting in their own wisdom. They did what was right in their eyes. And they're exiled. They're kicked out. Remember what God does to prevent them from coming back into the garden. In Genesis 3, it says, verse 24, So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim. I'm gonna, for, the, for the sake of argument, I'm going to call those soldiers, guards. So he, he stationed some guards, some soldiers, cherubim, and the flaming sword. All right? And the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. So he's got soldiers, flames, and swords. Remember those words because we'll see them again. In Genesis, mankind is not allowed back into the garden. Oh, hello again. Uh, not allowed back into the garden because that's where life is and we forfeited access to that. And here in John, the disciples get to enter the garden with Jesus. John wants us to see that we can be back with God. We can be back with God in wholeness and have access to life if we stick close to Jesus. We just learned four chapters ago in John 14 that he says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. And I really think this first verse in, in 18 should upload a lot of these ideas into our minds. The tabernacle and temple, what does that have to do with the Garden of Eden? I'm glad you asked. Uh, these were other attempts later in Israel's history to, to have this meeting space of heaven and earth. The garden was over, but we still needed a way to have heaven and earth meet, so we had the tabernacle and later the temple. Uh, you know all those chapters in Exodus and then later in 1 Kings that get really boring because they're full of descriptions of the tabernacle and the temple and the materials and what they used and how and, how and why and, and what it looked like, and some of you are falling asleep when you're reading that, or if you're reading that, uh, and they have these descriptions. So in your mind's eye, I want you to picture... The tabernacle, okay? Okay? Imagine. Picture the tabernacle. Whatever that looks like to you, it's a structure where, where people are meeting. It's where God's presence uh, hangs out on earth. It's the tabernacle or the, or the temple. Whatever picture comes to your mind. Now, add gold to it, okay? Add decorations. And the decorations, especially in, in, this, in your imagination, you're adding palm trees, flowers, fruits, Olive wood, add cherubim. Wait a second. Starting to sound a lot like a garden. Starting to sound like a garden. The garden, the tabernacle, and the temple. These are related ideas of meeting places between heaven and earth. They're like hot spots of God's presence. Um, but you remember by the time you get to the tabernacle, there's all these rules. You can't just waltz in there. 
right? There's a whole sacrificial system and it's set up so one guy, one day a year gets to go into the Holy of Holies, but he has to do all these special things and you have to cover for the sins in order to approach God's presence. You have to atone. You need a substitute. Day of atonement, it was performed through sacrifices so the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies. Only once a year. In John 18, Jesus is walking in the garden with his disciples. It's, it's as if as long as they're with Jesus, they're covered. They can go in. They can go right in into God's presence. John is weaving literary art in one sentence. The Garden of Eden was like a temple where heaven and earth meet and where God is. And with Jesus, you have access anytime. We're still only on the first verse. Once we have these ideas uploaded, garden, temple, atonement, high priest, we're close to unlocking the rest, I think. Jesus is our high priest. He's the high priest. The regular high priest had to do a whole bunch of stuff to, just to come before God one time a year. Jesus is such a good high priest, he can take anyone he wants with him into the presence of God. Were any of the disciples at the time perfect? No. They were able to come into the garden just as they were, as long as they were with Jesus as long as he had them covered, and that's our high priest. Two more things I don't have a lot of time to focus on here, but there are other important motifs about the Messiah in the Hebrew Bible, and that's that he's going to be a prophet like Moses. It's from Deuteronomy 18. He's going to be a king like David. You've heard these things before. Priest, prophet, king, prophet, king, priest, all those things. Different, and they come together in one person in Jesus. And he's also called the Son of God. That's a kingly title in the Hebrew Bible. Uh, we often think of son in terms of family and birth, but in the prophecies of the Messiah, sonship has more to do with being a king. Kings were like sons of God in the, in the ancient world, and in the Bible, there's the son of God, the king. Okay, now we can move on to verse 2. Once they come out of the garden, they will enter a different world. In the garden, things were very good, but that doesn't last long. Once they come out, they're in a different world. When Jesus and the disciples walk out, it'll be like bizarro world for the comic book fans. It'll be like the upside down for the Stranger Things fans. It'll be like through the looking glass for the fairy tale fans. Everything gets twisted, corrupted, and broken. This is where we live. We live outside the garden. And this world is not quite right. Maybe you haven't noticed. There are beautiful things in this world too. But almost nothing is at its very best. Everything falls short of its true potential, of its full potential. Nothing is quite whole. Many things are very broken. This is a world where cancer, anxiety, depression, crime, where violence, where divorce and abuse and injustice, where... All these things live. It's a fallen world. John calls it, he often uses the word darkness or the idea of darkness, and he calls Jesus the light. I'm going to call it the twisted kingdom. They walk out of the garden into the twisted kingdom. That's where we live. And when Adam and Eve left the garden, the very, the very next verse, they leave in the garden in chapter 3 of Genesis. They walk out in chapter 4. It's the story of Cain and Abel. Right after they leave the garden, there's murder, there's violence, there's bloodshed. If, what, what else would you expect as soon as you separate from the source of life? Things aren't going to be going well. 
As soon as you're not listening to God's wisdom anymore, the world gets twisted. So don't be surprised. And in a way, John symbolizes this twisted kingdom by alluding to a lot of well-known biblical ideas, but he adds a twist. So we'll start to see that in verse 2. Up to the garden comes Judas with soldiers, flames, and swords. It's a twisted version of Genesis. Violence comes up to the garden. In verse 4, Jesus knows what is going on, and so he says, who are you looking for? They say, well, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answers meaningfully, I am, or it might say, I am he. I am. In John's literary art piece, the words I am happen in the book in two sets of seven. Seven is a number of completion in the Old Testament. John knows what he's doing. So in this, in this last passage of the book with the I am's, he says it twice. I am. Because they kind of the Jewish leaders kind of freak out. It says that they fall to the ground. Maybe they were tripping over themselves. We don't exactly know. Then they, he says again, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am. Or I am he. It's just two words in the Greek. The Torah teaches us that it takes two or three witnesses to establish a thing. Hebrew poetry is set up with parallel lines of two, sometimes three lines. And here we are, two sets of seven I am statements in the book of John, ending with this last one, which is a double. Then Jesus, um, then Jesus in this scene where they're coming up to arrest him, verse 8, he says, if you seek me, there we go. I told you that I am he, so if you seek me, let these men go. He'll take the consequences for his followers. So already being a priest here. His followers, so, he'll fo- so his followers will be unharmed. He'll, he'll take, he says, let them go. He's setting himself up as a substitute. In John chapter 1, Jesus is called the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So we're going to see in John, he's, he's shown as the high priest and also the sacrifice. In verse 9, he, it says this, he was... This was to fulfill the word which he had spoken of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. So this is him being a bit of a prophet as well. He's a prophet and a priest, and we're going to see, of course, that he's a king. Right in this, when he's going to get arrested, right in this time, in this scene, Peter does something not good. He does something I might do, or he does something some of us might do out here. He does something that makes sense in the, in the twisted kingdom. He takes out a sword, and he's trying to protect Jesus, and he swipes off an ear of a guy. He's trying to fight. You're not taking my Lord. Seems like a good thing. Seems like something I might do. He initiates violence right outside the garden. In the end of uh, Genesis chapter 3, remember it's Adam and Eve being kicked out, and the next chapter is Cain killing Abel. In this story... Peter's in the cane slot. Right after they leave the garden, he's doing violence. That's not good. By the way, Peter cuts off the ear of a servant uh, whose name is Malchus. Malchus means king. Little, little fun twist John's throwing in there. He cuts off the ear of a servant named king or servant king. <clears throat> Peter's a bad guy in this story. Not, Peter's not all bad. We know that. And later in the book, he gets redeemed. We'll talk about it in a second. But in this part of the story, he's pictured in Cain. He's, he's the violent person in, in the twisted kingdom. We're not in the garden anymore. 
Jesus ends up before earthly priests next. You have this figure, Annas, who is a former high priest and the father figure. So you have Jesus coming before the father in a twisted way. And the father's son, so to speak, is Caiaphas, the current high priest. All these twisted versions of how things should be in our twisted kingdom. And Caiaphas has a prophecy in verse 14. Verse 14, it was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Caiaphas wants to sacrifice Jesus for all the people. There's this irony dripping off of that. It's a twist on what God is intending to do anyway. These two worlds, twisted and the righteous one, they agree on one thing. Jesus will be the sacrifice. So Jesus is inside getting accused and questioned by these priests and officials, and, and Peter's outside with the servants, and, and, and you know this story. They ask him, hey, Peter, uh, weren't you with this guy? And he says, he says, I am not one of those. He said, no, no, I'm pretty sure I saw you. Weren't you one of the ones in the garden? He says, I am not. Three times Peter denies Jesus with kind of this I am not language, which is a twist on Jesus' saying, I am. So now Peter is in the place of Cain, the violent one, and now he's denying the king. Um, he's he's not, a, not a good guy, just in this short story. And I, I mentioned in a couple of weeks, John chapter 21, Jesus, or, uh, Peter gets redeemed. He, he gets asked by Jesus, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you how many times that happened? Three times to make up for his three denials. It's literary art. In verses 28 to 32, Jesus ends up before Pilate. He's the governor. He's the Roman official. We know that. And we get another series of three statements. So this is in verse 33. If you look down there, you get three times Pilate says something like, you're the king. He's asking a question in verse 33. He says, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, if you say it so, Pilate says in verse 37, so you are a king? Verse 39, so do you want me to release the king of the Jews three times? He calls Jesus a king. And uh, Pilate's, Pilate's recognizing something, not necessarily that Pilate's a Christian, but he's recognizing something Jesus' own followers didn't. John chapter 1, 11 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And in that exchange with Pilate, he says, he says something important. Uh, he, in verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I not be delivered over the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. Maybe I missed it, but I thought one of the servants was fighting, by the way. Didn't he take out a sword? I think this is one more subtle, maybe you might say the third time, where, where Peter's actions are looked negatively on. In that moment, he was not a servant of the Lord. In that moment, he was doing the wrong thing. My servants would have been fighting. They're not supposed to be fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. 
We've used in this church, and I've used it before, the phrase upside down kingdom to refer to Jesus because he's way different than our leaders in our world. And I think that's true. But that's from our perspective. The truth is we are in the upside down. Uh, Jesus is in the right side up. Either way, he's radically different than the leaders of our world. Last piece of chapter 18, there's this tradition it talks about when uh, Pilate says, you get to release one of the prisoners. It's a Passover tradition. No big deal. It's just their life. But they get to choose. Who do you want? The king of the Jews or this other guy, Barabbas or Barabbas? And they say, give us Barabbas. They choose him. Barabbas is, uh, this is the last verse here, verse 40. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber, it says. Barabbas means son of the father. Another little piece of irony, twist there. They release the son of the father, and they keep the real son of the father. And he's a robber, it says, or a rebel, depending on your translation. Either one of those can be okay. It's a, it's a word that, that has to do with violence. If he's a robber, he's the kind that doesn't mind killing or hurting you to take your stuff. That's the idea. It's the kind of guy, it's the kind of thing you would expect in the twisted kingdom that they would re- release the wrong guy. They would release the bad guy and keep the innocent one. Uh, this, this, this word robber for Barabbas is used one other time in John in, in, the, in the Good Shepherd passage in, in chapter 18. That, that passage says this. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture or garden. I don't know. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Next week, we will hear about the good shepherd laying his life down for the sheep. We'll learn that it wasn't actually the Jews that were in control of that. It wasn't actually the Romans either. He did it to himself, and he did it for us. Jesus brings his own twist. Outside the garden, they intended to do violence, and instead, he turns the violence onto himself so that we can have peace and healing. This chapter is twisted with darkness because otherwise it wouldn't make sense to sacrifice, like a criminal, the innocent king, prophet, priest, son of God. So one thing uh, that stands out from this passage to me is that we shouldn't be surprised in this world when things go wrong, when people get sick, when friends hurt, when relationships fail, when death comes to someone we know, when leaders fail, when friends betray, when people lie, when violence happens, when the little star decoration knocks over the wise man in the foyer and his arms break off. If you look over there after you leave, you might see that. (laughs) The wise man's missing his arms. That's the kind of world we live in, people. But we live in the upside down. Our world is broken. How do we get back to the garden where there's life and not violence? Scripture says you stick close to Jesus. You follow him. That's our 
one and only hope. And we get to worship in that hope, and we get to celebrate Advent in that hope. We look back to his coming as an infant, and we ask him to help us now live like he did. And we long for him to come again and heal our mess for good this time. Let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for your Son, our King, our High Priest, the one who speaks your words of truth. I pray for all of us that you would draw our hearts closer to him and help us listen to his voice, help us see clearly in this upside-down world so that we don't get confused and onto the wrong path. Lord, we desperately need you. Use your spirit to empower us to follow you. Lastly, I pray for those hurting today for any of the many reasons we talked about and more. Lord, I pray for healing, but I also pray that you would pull them close. Let all of our sufferings, whenever they come, let all of our sufferings point us back to our true hope in you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.